Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now there, friends. It's your old pal, the whiskey uh, galore narrator. He's the, I'm the only one who was available for this podcast today. Uh, they're all dead. Absolutely, they're all dead. And you too. And me too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, uh, they, they're all quite drunk in the afterlife. Because I don't know if you knew this, my friend, but alcohol is present in heaven. Oh. Aye. Aye. And it was the Protestants that were wrong, you see. Mm. Catholics were right. Who knew? Not me. I mean, that's pretty big breaking news on your podcast, isn't it? That the Catholic religion turned out to be 100% true. Hashtag it. Uh, well, you don't have Twitter in heaven. That's the funny thing. Oh, that sucks. Actually, I... you know what? That's probably for the best. Oh, I assure you it is. No, there'd be, there's already far too many fights up there. Yeah. Jason, what do you think about this? I don't even know what's going on, man. I'm so confused. Did you slip something in my drink? Aye, that was me. <laughs> Classic whiskey galore narrator <laughs> move. It's just a little bit of alcohol I have extra I added to your beer. Normally your beer is a 5% one, but this time I put a little eyedropper in there, my friend, and it's 6.5%. So good luck with that. That's not actually, you know, that's not crazy strong. I mean, that's a little strong, but uh, shut your fucking mouth. No. You sound like a character that Rob Williams didn't go through oh, with in Mrs. Doubtfire. I don't think you know what you're talking about, okay. buddy. Okay. No. Okay. No. Okay. Are you sure you're if, not anything, Rob if anything, Robin Williams ripped me off after watching that movie mm-hmm. that we were in, Whiskey Galore. Mm-hmm. He said to himself, Hi, I'm doing a movie. I'll use that guy's character. Except, I'm going to make it a woman. An old woman. Mm-hmm. And do you think I like that? Do you think I'd like to see that? Doesn't matter, I'm dead. But I didn't. Do you want to introduce this? Thing? Oh yes, I really thank you for having me here. This week, you fellas are watching a movie that is quite popular, and it's called Alfie. Mm-hmm. Aye, and it stars Michael Caine, who I like very much. Oh, Michael Caine! Have you ever seen Austin Powers the Third One? Yeah, I believe that is the title of the film. Ah, yes, Austin Powers the Third One. That's my favorite. That's what it was called in Scotland. Okay. And in heaven, because we get them in heaven, but we only get Scottish copies. It's like the rule up there. I think it's a special deal they have. But you know what? It's not, it's not my place to talk about our business, our business arrangements. That's you're, just you're, not polite. Your accent gets thicker as you get drunk. Aye, well, you know, I, uh, the movie was called Whiskey Galore, and I just keep drinking whiskey. I've been sipping it this whole time, and it's funny because I keep talking, but, uh, you know, every time I stop to take a breath, I just take a little sip of whiskey because I don't need to breathe because you don't need to breathe in heaven. There's no air in heaven. And that's to keep living people out. Jason gets security. Yeah, I'm gonna just beep, boop, beep, boop, beep. Yeah, Jerry, we need you. Oh, Jerry, uh, can Jerry can Jerry catch a ghost? Is Jerry a ghostbuster? Is that what he's gonna do? Ah, uh, he's right. 
He's right, Jerry, Jerry, can you catch a ghost? No, I can't catch no ghost. All right, go home, Jerry. Yeah, I'm going home. Thanks, Jerry. Gee, he's a pussy as well, I think. Oh, get out of here, you fucking ghost. You're knocking my headphones off? What kind of... We, we're, we're polite and we invite you. All right, all right, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And fuck both of you for existing. You'll be dead one day, and when you're dead, you'll be in heaven. And guess what? Every last one of us from the movie Whiskey Galore, we're going to come and we're going to kick your fucking ghost ass. You understand? So be ready for that. You may be in heaven, but you'll sure feel like you're in hell. Goodbye. Jesus Christ. Wow, he was... He was amped up. I thought he sounded so nice when he came in. He was so nice and folksy, but he kept drinking that ghost liquor, and he just got meaner and meaner and meaner, and, and it was it was it was very scary. It was very scary. That's why we have. I'm Jared. sweating. I'm sweating. It was so scary. Yeah, not because of the boiling temperature. <laughs> no, that has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with the weather. It's this, this, this ghost making me sweat. It's all cold sweat, you see. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, this is a podcast. We should probably set. Yeah, yeah. Wait, we should the remind last... you why we're here. This is a podcast called For Screen and Contra. See, we did it different that time. Mm-hmm. I did it first. Mm-hmm. And this podcast is where we go through the top 100 films of the British Film Institute as established in the year of our Lord, 1999, of the best 100 British films of all time, excluding the last 21 years. Yeah, because those are terrible British films. Yeah, those, they're all terrible. Edgar no, Wright, you fucking hack. Fuck you, you, you mustached piece of shit. <laughs> you fucking music, you use music in your movies. Who do you think you are with your fucking music? What do you think, you're some kind of baby driver? Yeah, making entertaining movies I like to watch and I enjoy. Fuck you! This fucking Fa- guy. Fangula. <laughs> Fangula. Oh, I'm getting sweat in my eye. It hurts. Oh, God. But that's what we do. It's from the ghost again. Yeah, so that's what we do, though. We talk about those movies every episode, and we go randomly through the list one by goddamn one. Mm-hmm. Then we talk about them. We do. And we are doing that exact thing this week. Yes. But before we talk about this week's movie, we need to read some comments about last week's film, Whiskey Galore. A.K.A. One Tight Little Island, or was that... Tight Little Island, Tight Little Island, yeah. Which Tight Little Island. And and I did send Jason uh, a picture of the poster uh, the other day uh, to confirm that this existed and that it was called Tight Little Island in the United States. I don't know why I paused like that. In the the United States! In the United States. Um, but yeah, it was called Tight Little Island, which is a weird title. Yeah, I mean that that was less appro- or that was more appropriate than Whiskey Galore, I guess. Or they didn't think people like whiskey. Did they think that there were like dry counties and like temperance movements that wouldn't want to? You know, maybe they wouldn't want to see it. It's crazy, man. Charles Bill McKenney, who is I assume the most prominent uh, person who's commented on our. Uh, it just sounds like a, a real prominent guy's name. Mm. Most prominent commenter with his powdered wig. Yes. Uh, I saw it years ago on Turner Classic. I remember it being lots of fun. As I remember, it was called Whiskey A Go-Go in France and later became the name of the discotheque. Oh, yeah, I've heard of Whiskey A Go-Go. In California, there was a Whiskey A Go-Go club and they started the whole A Go-Go trend. Okay, maybe that's where I heard it from. That's that's crazy. I did not know this movie. Yeah, of all things. Like, indirectly started the A Go-Go trend. Is is A Go-Go, is that like a bar except they've got like a cave where they keep all the whiskey? By the way, if this movie is responsible for the movie Monster A Go Go, I'm a little bit upset at oh, it. Oh yeah. Ooh. Or or but but on on the other hand, if it's if it's um, responsible for the Go 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 Sisters, Go 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 Girls, Go Go Girls. I think that's the band yeah. you're talking about. The Go Go Girls. The outfit. I'm good. What about the Goo Goo Dolls? Uh, 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 no, back off. 
What about their most famous song that everyone likes? Uh, you'd have to sing it for me, and then I'd know what it was. I don't remember. Exactly. That's <laughs> that's fucking it, Brendan. But let's not profane whiskey galore with the Goo Goo Dolls anymore. Uh, Michael Boyce has the next comment, Brendan. Yes, what does I, he say? Michael Boyce says, A great film. Came out the same year as Passport to Pimlico and Kind Hearts. A strong year for Ealing comedies. The director, Alexander McKendrick, made a film that I think should be on the AFI list of Sweet Smell of Success and wrote a fabulous book on directing. Mm, very nice. Sweet Smell of Success is a movie I, again, I think, we meant, I think I mentioned it in one episode that I have not seen, heard a lot about. Cinematic Blind Spot? Might watch it one day. Mm. Feeling, feeling cute. Might watch Sweet Smell of Success. <laughs> Fun fact about me, only vaguely related to this. In my high school yearbook, the, the quote that I put in there was uh, a Groucho Marx quote, which was, The sweetest sound in the world is the crumbling of your fellow man. Wow. I was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great if you had a Harpo Marx quote. And it was just a bunch of periods. Yeah. <laughs> just, just harp. <laughs> Up next is Emily Oldham. Emily says, like most Ealing comedies, I love the idea, but I find it drags a lot for such a short film. It's curious that you struggle to find it because it's definitely not as obscure here in the UK. It's on TV quite often. The top 20 Ealing comedies and the black and white leans uh, are on the most in my experience. Well, hey, good good job. It's probably cheaper over there, too, to license that shit. Mm. That, you got to give England credit, man. You watch English TV shows, they always have the best fucking music because music rights are nothing over there compared to what they cost here. You got to give it. Give it you up. You got to give it up for uh, the UK. And thanks to the internet means I can pirate those specific episodes and don't have to worry about music clearances because fuck the man. That's how I fuck the man. I think you mean you stream them on legal platforms. Yeah. I have a British account. I pay my TV license. Sky One. Sky One BB, streaming. I, no, I watch BBC One. I watch BBC Two. I watch BBC Three. I watch BBC Four. I do not watch BBC Five. I do not like how BBC Two though went for the PG thirteen. I know. Uh, BBC One was so much more gritty and raw. BBC One has kept it real for <laughs> seventy five fucking years. And what has BBC Two done? And then BBC Three just felt like a cash in. Yeah. BBC. And then I'm assuming BBC Four and Five went straight to video. No, B- BBC Four actually was a reinvention of the whole thing, and, it, and oh. it, it didn't appeal to most people, but it really hit me right in the right in the feels. But BBC okay. Five was basically just a softcore porn, and I'm not a fan. <laughs> I hope BBC Six they do an all female version. I've been pushing for that for many years. Um, Adam Pellman, serial commenter. Adam, welcome back. And murderer. I mean, allegedly. allegedly. Uh, Hey, the evidence is damning, okay? Adam Pellman says, an absolutely delightful film. One of my favorite Ealing comedies. It's got two of my favorite British character actors from that era, Basil Radford, best known for playing one half of the comic relief duo in The Lady Vanishes. Lots of movie uh, titles coming up here that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, And James Robertson, Justice. By the way, did anyone see the remake that came out a few years ago? Well, we're going to talk about it. At some point, yeah. I know I looked it up the other day because I was trying to figure out if uh, uh, that was what I thought it was. But it was. Eddie Izzard was. Yeah, Eddie Izzard was in that because I was, I, was, I was confused as to whether Eddie Izzard had starred in that or the remake of Dad's Army they did. And one final comment today from Christopher Barry. Christopher says, I know it's an Ealing comedy and it has many elements associated with Ealing comedies. For some reason, I've never viewed it as an Ealing comedy. Maybe because it's set in Scotland, which is atypical. Maybe because I saw it when I was quite young before I really got into film and appreciated how good Ealing comedies were. The comedy in this seems a bit blunter and not as satisfying as Kind Hearts or The Man in the White Suit, for instance. Well, we haven't got to The Man in the White Suit yet. Is Kind Hearts on the list? Did you say who that was from? That was from Christopher Barry. Okay. Two first names. So, I mean, Mm. right there. Yeah, Kind Hearts and Coronets is on this list. And The Men in the White Suit. 
Yes, when we were and actually, uh, fun fact: when we originally were going to do this podcast, we we initially rolled for the man in the white suit, but for some reason we decided to roll again, and we got Doctor Zhivago. Was Doctor Zhivago our first one? Yeah, doc- yeah, of course. Yeah. Come on, has to be. Come on. I think I think what happened is we um, just to get a little lift the curtain a little bit. Um, we. We we did a like a random number generator online, yeah. Yeah, and then right. and then we did the first two, and I thought, you know what, let's roll the dice. That's more exciting. Yeah. So so we still haven't done that movie yet. Still hasn't come up. Watch it. It would be it would be great if it ended up being the last one. But Jason, those are the comments. Last thing we do here is compare to the AFI, the American Film Institute Top 100 list. My favorite part. Number 24 on the BFI Ooh. was Whiskey Galore. Mm-hmm. Number 24 on the AFI Top 100 is E.T. And the winner is E.T. Yeah, E.T. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, if I, had to, if I had to choose which one to watch on a given day, yeah, E.T. I didn't uh, see E.T. in years, but... I mean, not even, like, just quality of film. But I mean, I'm watching Shotgun E.T. I'm not watching fucking Walkie Talkie fucking E.T. Oh, that ruined the whole movie for you, didn't <laughs> Yeah, it? Yeah, ruined my life. <laughs> I can't watch no fucking Star Wars special editions. Everything else is shit now. Ah, fucking McClunky. <laughs> well, Jason, that is it for Whiskey Galore. We need to talk about this week's movie now. We need to talk about Alfie. Hello, Alfie. <laughs> That's right. That music can only mean one thing, Jason. Those Siren jazz strains are 1966's film Alfie, starring Michael Caine. Which is number 33 on the BFI Top 100. Yeah. It stars Michael Caine as our titular character, Alfie. Alfie. We have uh, the one American in this film, Shelley Winters, playing one of the girls named uh, Ruby. Yeah, Shelley Winters in her prime. Yeah. Uh, Matron, matronly prime. Uh, we have Millicent Martin playing City, who is the girl we see at the beginning and the end of the film. Uh, Vivian Merchant plays Lily Klamacraft. Of Merchant Ivory fame. Yes, of course. Jane Asher plays Annie, who I think might be the most tragic, unfortunate character in this movie. Uh, but we'll get into it. Uh, Julia Foster plays Gilda, who, by the way, every time I heard him say Gilda, I couldn't help but think of Gilda Radner because that's the only Gilda I've ever known. It's true. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Shirley Anfield plays Carla. It's a very small part, mm-hmm. just the girl at the uh, the cafe. Yep. Uh, Eleanor Braun is credited as the doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denim Elliot is credited as, spoiler alert, the abortionist. <laughs> um, this I thought was kind of interesting. A- an actor named Alfie, yes. as in Alfie Bass, who, plays Harry Klamacraft. Who we have seen before. I don't remember which movie he was in, but we saw him before. Also, he played Mr. Goldman on the, I think, season seven of Are You Being Served? Well, he is also in one scene in Thunderball where he's on top of a bridge trying to light his, a cigar or a pipe or something, and James Bond comes by and splashes him. Do you know who also is in this movie that we've seen before? Who else? Playing uh, Alfie's buddy Nat is Murray Melvin, who you may remember from A Taste of Honey 
as the uh, the homosexual gentleman that moves oh. in with our title character. Is that why I assumed he was gay? I mean, maybe. Oh, I didn't realize that was the same guy. He just was, I mean, it's, you know. You thought he was coded as gay, basically? Well, well I, I, just because the guy just seemed like a gay dude. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing, and I guess that's maybe on me, but, like, there was nothing, I think, that indicated that he was gay. Mm-hmm. Really, on screen, there was a couple that I, a couple of dudes I thought might have been gay until they started chastising uh, 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 Alfie for not banging some chick or something or whatever he did. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I just got the sense that he was gay, and maybe that was just me, but. Maybe that's your subconscious remembering a taste of honey. Remembering him because I didn't recognize him from that. Yeah, uh, the only people I recognized in this movie were Shelley Winters and Alfie Bass, mm-hmm. and, and not Michael Caine. Who the fuck is that? Yeah, who's that guy? I don't know anything. This is, about our, him. This is our third. Oh film. right, you mean the guy from Jaws: The Revenge? Yeah, okay, I know him. <laughs> this is our third film with Michael Caine. Four more to go. Oh fuck yeah! Um, He's got also, more films than David Lean has on the list. I think they're about the same. Oh, okay. Uh, this movie is directed though. And I and I want to stre- I want to say this because I think this is very interesting. It's directed by Lewis Gilbert. Oh, I thought you were going to say John Ford. No, uh, Lewis Gilbert, who also directed three Bond movies. Ooh. Um, he directed You Only Live Twice, The Spy Who Loved Me, and of course the one we all know and love, Moonraker. Ooh. Um, and he also directed a movie that we haven't covered on this list yet called Educating Rita, which also stars Michael Caine. But the reason I wanted to mention the James Bond thing yeah. is because this seems to me like. Kind of a James Bond-esque swagger that Alfie has. Yeah. But it's like the repercussions of that lifestyle. This, this was not what I thought this movie was, but now that you mention it, yeah, this is kind of like the... If they made a James Bond movie about James Bond's life but cut all the spy shit out. This is what he does when he's not being a spy. But include all the repercussions yeah, of his yeah. lifestyle, yeah, I, which I, I think, yeah. I think make, makes this movie not age as much as it should. <laughs> yeah. Because I think the movie is constantly taking the POV of, like, this is not a good person. Yes. But before we get too far into yeah. it, Jason, tell us what Alfie is about. Alfie is about uh, old Alfie Evans, who's a chauffeur. Elkins. Uh, Elkins? Yeah. Did I say Evans? You did. That's yeah. okay. You were thinking of Robert Evans. I get it. Alfie Elkins. Uh, he's a chauffeur, you know, and he's a man about town. He's a young guy, and he spends his days fucking married women. For I think, the most I think part. almost exclusively. Uh, he's got a, well, you know, a couple of his women are single. Yeah, a couple of them are single, but he is uh, as self-described not the marrying sort, which is to say that he just likes fucking women until he's done with them, and he and he dumps them, and he has no respect for them. He when he when he speaks about them because one of the central gimmicks of this movie is the breaking of the fourth wall. This this movie is very much a predecessor of Deadpool. The direct yes. predecessor of Deadpool. Yeah. I, in fact, Ryan Reynolds said to prepare for his role, he just watched Alfie over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and actually, we see that early on in the movie when he's uh, he, he starts talking to the camera the first time. And he says, uh, my name is, and the girl says his name, Alfie. And it, the title comes up, Alfie. And he goes, now you expect you're going to see the credits. Well, that's not going to happen. Or the and, opening titles, but that's not going to happen. And we don't. And we don't. And I, and I think... Um, well, you may th- well you may watch that now and be like, well, that's not a big deal. In 1966, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, that was really playing with the format. Like, and, and I mean, maybe today, like the idea of breaking the fourth wall uh, seems like pretty old and, and tropish. And even even in 1966, I wonder. I feel like that trope has been since the beginning of cinema, to some extent, of like talking to the viewer. I mean, I can't I can't imagine it has been used that much before this. I have to dig into this and look it up. Right. But either way, this is a very good example of it being done well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so Alfie is a chauffeur. He likes fucking uh, women, and he ends up uh, accidentally knocking one of them up. This one is not a married woman, mm-hmm. uh, but this is she. Gilda. This is Gilda, and he describes her as quite simple. Now, when he talks about these women, he describes them as it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and he either says he says he'll say her and she, yeah. but he'll never say like 
them or like anything to identify them as a person. He always calls yeah. them it. He's like, he does a lot of this, he does this, you know, whenever he's talking to the viewer. And, yeah. and in 2020, uh, that's a fucking jarring thing to hear, especially mm-hmm. because of the ramifications of it today as far as like misgendering people and, and using wrong pronouns and such. Like, uh, yeah, it just, it, it hits me in a weird place. <laughs> um, so yeah, he knocks her up and they, she decides to have the baby and she keeps it. And it's a lovely, cute little boy named Malcolm. Malcolm Alvin, or Alfred, Elkins. I guess. Malcolm Alfred Elkins. There you go. Which, of course, Alfie doesn't like that name. He's, he thinks, oh, you're going to, you're being mean to him right out of the gate. You ruined his life right away, but yeah. you're dead, girl. You did. <laughs> your mum's your mumsied. But you're poncified. Despite the fact that he had um, he had indicated to uh, uh, what's her name, Gilda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gilda, that he was not the Marian sort, and she apparently was simple, but she she agreed with that. She was cool with that. They were just gonna fuck. Um, she at some point like kind of floats the idea of marriage because and this reinforces of this era of how important marriage was to the social contract or, or to the to families and everything like because there's always the talk like it's never about like finding someone you just want to love it's about finding someone who's willing to marry you and it always feels so sad to think of that like like I'm not interested in finding the right person for me I'm just interested in finding somebody who's willing to sign this document so that I can make my parents happy mm-hmm Fuck! It's I can understand the stresses of a, on a person like Alfie or you know Gilda in that time, but uh, so yeah, he's not down for that. So she is kind of floating the idea to this himself a bit creepy and stalkerish a uh, a bus driver named Humphrey or a, a bus attendant named Humphrey who kind of has been macking on her for a long time in a very creepy neckbeardy kind of way. Um, but she knows that he's interested, and she's really getting to the point where she feels she has to marry someone. Before it's too late, and so she decides that she's going to float the idea to him, and even ask him at one point, "Are you? Would you be comfortable marrying another man's uh, or raising another man's child?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm perfectly fine. I would raise it as my own." And my estimation form went up a little bit in that scene. Should we, shall we listen to that scene? Yeah, let's briefly? please. Yeah, let's listen to it. Because this is one of the only one of the very few scenes, uh, guys, that I can play that doesn't have Alfie talking. So yeah, let's yeah exactly. I don't like you working on that brewery bay. That's no job for a woman. You get used to it. What's that? That's that ring I was talking about. Oh, it's heavy. 22 carat, solid gold. Same as I say, that was my mother's. They don't make rings like that today. No, they made them to last in the old days. Can I try it on? Yeah, go on. Uh, No, 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 sorry, but it's bad luck. They say that once you put a wedding ring on, you should never take it off again. I mean, that's what they say, you know. I, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything in it. Humphrey. How would you feel bringing up another man's child? Um, have a cherry. You mean little Malcolm? Well, I mean, once we were married, I, I could only look on him as my own child. I mean, to say, I, I tried to be, you know, good father to him, if he'd have me. Yeah, so she wants to find a guy that she'll let fuck her. Mm-hmm. Basically. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm saying she's looking for a guy that will marry her, and then in return for that bargain, she will let him fuck her. 
It's basically what it boils down to. I mean, that's, maybe, that's but nothing time. about those two's chemistry seems sexual to me. No, no, absolutely not. No, and and, and it's further amplified later when he, she's talking to Alfie about it, and she's and he asks, "Well, do you love him?" Mm-hmm. And she says, "No, I, I I don't love him, but I respect him." Yeah, which is an interesting approach to take. But I guess you know, if you're stuck marrying someone you don't love, you may as well marry someone you respect. <laughs> well, and I mean, you're like you're saying this is the attitude at the time. Yeah. So I mean, kind of just breezing through what this plot like is fulfilling the social obligation. It's not even that she's just marrying anybody; she's marrying yeah. somebody who's respectable. I mean, kind of breezing through what this plot is. He, he, like you said, he eventually can't take it. He leaves her, and then just kind of cycles through a number of girls from that point forward. Um, yeah, to and, varying and degrees of horribleness. Of consequence that he doesn't give a shit about for the most part. Which? There's there's a little bit of that by the end of the movie, but very little. Oh, I would say there's a major consequence at the end of the film. Oh, there's consequence. No, I'm saying that, is that he, he doesn't really care about the consequences of his actions until he has a kid, and then the later incident as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be his only concern throughout the movie. My wife, my wife, this is what my, what my wife said. My wife, my wife said, she watched this movie. She doesn't watch every movie with me. In fact, it's rare that she was, but she was sitting there. And so she watches this movie with me. And her comment was that throughout this movie, once he finally starts to care about something, the only thing he seems to care about are the kids. He cares about his son mm-hmm. and he cares about the, the child that he won't have from the later incident. Mm-hmm. He does not care about the women at all. No, even by the end of it, and and she she was quite mad because he got no real like real comeuppance at the end of it. He had like a moment, a breakdown moment, but like that wasn't even related to the women. That was related to the to the child. I would argue he gets a big comeuppance at the end, but we'll get to that. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get to Put that. Put a pin in that. Um, I want to talk about the whole uh, the whole fourth wall thing because you yes. mentioned that a little bit at the beginning. Is yeah. that how this is a thing we've seen many times at this point? But how do you think this kind of changes this movie because? You have this gimmick throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, sometimes he narrates, yes. by the way. It's voiceover. And sometimes he's looking right at the camera. But do you feel like it's a little different in the sense that a lot of times when I see fourth wall breaking, it feels like you're they're addressing the audience as mm. a whole. Here it feels like he's just talking to me. Yeah, he's just he's just having a conversation. He's like he's basically bragging about himself and his life and explaining his ethos and all that. But of course, the the, the wonderful thing about it is that he says all these things, and then we see what he actually does on screen, and, and that contradicts many of the things he says. <laughs> right, exactly, and I think that's the biggest clue yeah. as to where this movie stands as far as his attitude and behavior is. Yes. Um, so you think like, like I was thinking like this movie without the fourth wall stuff, like how would that even, I, I think, I think having that makes it more clear that the movie's not on his side. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we, we get a sense of his internal character and see the con- the contradiction with the actions. And then we know that he is not a good person at all. <laughs> we can't really, uh, there's no real uh, ambiguity in that. Right. Yeah. To the, but like still to the point where it's subtle enough, mm. like it's not... It's not. Um, no, it's it, not preaching at us. No, no. The, the case just builds uh, uh, through his words and actions over the course of the film. By the way, um, I thought this was interesting. This is the first movie to receive the quote suggested for mature audiences classification from the MPAA. Meaning, this is the first movie to get anything more than an approved. Yeah. Um, which eventually became the PG rating. Yeah. Uh, and I can see why this movie was made in 1966, and they explore some very dark and. and very frank territory. Well, so much so that I'll, I'm going to tell you some of the actors that turned down the lead role. Yeah. So we have uh, uh, James Booth, uh, Richard Harris. Oh, wow. Lawrence Harvey, mm-hmm. Anthony Newley all turned down this role. 
Um, this was a, this this whole thing is based on a play. Yes, uh, Alfie, um, which was actually performed by Terrence Stamp, hmm. um, and Terrence Stamp categorically declined to reprise the role. So his the casting agents approached his roommate Michael Caine. Wow. Um, the reason that everybody was was basically turning this down is because of one scene, and I think it's one scene we have to discuss quite a bit. Yeah. And it's the abortion scene. Yes. Uh, so later in the movie, um, basically the setup of this is, is that at some point in the movie, Michael Caine, he, he goes to a chest x-ray and he has himself checked out and it turns out his lung is infected. I thought he was going to end up with cancer or something. And that was going to be his ultimate comeuppance by the end of the movie. He was going to die of cancer, a sad and broken man. <laughs> I thought he was just going to go. I thought when he was getting checked up, I thought he was just going to get an STD. <laughs> that, that would have certainly been appropriate. Yeah, but he even knew he's like, oh, I got nothing. Why would I have it? He, like, he was like, yeah, I'm clean. Don't worry about me. Yeah. But uh, so it turns out he's infected. So they send him to a sanitarium to recover. And while he's in the sanitarium, he meets uh, our old friend Alfie Bass, who is also in there for sickness. I don't know if it's ever specifically said, but... He coughs a lot. He's like a tuberculosis. Yeah, something type like thing, that. Yeah. So while there, so he gets to be friends with uh, um, with Harry. Is that his name? Or Harry, Harry, yeah. Harry? Yeah, he has to be friends with Harry, and in the course of being friends with Harry, he he tries to indoctrinate Harry to his way of, of thinking because he's the sort of character who's paranoid and and wants to project his paranoia onto everybody else. And he starts going on about like, oh, your wife's probably cheating on you. You know, man's locked up in here and, and just going through basically his whole cynical worldview and Harry isn't really having any of it. He's like, come on, man. I do want to play that. Yeah, please I play, want to play that play scene. Alfie trying to uh, basically <laughs> explain life to Harry. Yes. What you got to do, Harry? You start living for yourself, like I do. They won't keep me here long. Ah, uh, but Alfie, I miss the kids, especially the youngest. Yeah. Now, just listen to me, Harry. Just listen to me for a minute. Supposing tonight you was to snuff it, you know what I mean? You're right, you are. No, right. just supposing. That's it, have a giggle. It's all like this, yeah. a giggle. Yeah. Now, yeah. say your old woman picks up with a bloke and brings him home. No, Lily, she wouldn't. Why not? She ain't bad, you know, she's got a fair little figure. Not my type, of course, but still. Anyway, she brings this bloke home and introduces him to the kids as Uncle Bill. I bet your kids will get a big kick out of him. No, not young Phil, he wouldn't. He'd be the bleeding first, especially if Uncle Bill brought round some toys. You wouldn't buy young Phil with toys. The next thing is, your missus would start telling the neighbours the kids need a dad. He's got to blame it on the kids, see? What's going on? What are you getting at? I only want you to see the truth and start getting better. Now, for the first month or two after you're gone, your wife and kids might take some flowers to the cemetery. But once she's married again, and the kids start calling Uncle Bill dad, your little grave will become just a mass of weeds. If you walked into your own home six months later, your kids would run up to Uncle Bill shouting, Dad, who is it? Look, if you don't stop, I'll knock your bloody head in. Uh, Harry, now, Harry, stop it. You drove me up the wall. Harry, all I want is for you to see life, see what it is, and what it does to you. So that is a very insecure man. Yeah. Uh, Projecting yeah. onto him. Well, exactly. Like, I'm sure Harry is fine. Yeah. Like, I'm sure Harry and his wife, you know, maybe it's a little strained because yeah. of where he is and everything, but and I where don't it goes. Think, yeah. Where he, yeah, Alfie may be right about a couple things here, but yeah. at the same time, yeah, he's completely projecting. At the himself. same time, is, is Alfie laying some groundwork as to prepare Harry for what's about to come? Because he's. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, you don't think I don't think that's in the plan. Yeah. Although you know, you talk about the fourth wall stuff that he that he breaks the fourth wall and he tells us stuff while contradictory stuff is happening. Mm. Do you not remember where early in the film, at the very beginning, actually, when he's having his little car makeout yeah. with uh, City? 
And he says, like, oh, next thing you know, she'll be telling me to come over and meet her husband. And yeah. then she comes over and she's like, oh, won't you meet my husband? And he's like, no, we're yeah, done here. It's time to bail, yeah. But he says in that scene, he's like, he says, I don't want to ever meet the guy because I don't want to feel bad. Yeah. So he acknowledges that if he knows who the person is that's being affected by it, he doesn't want to know about it. He wants to be ignorant of it. But in this case, he knows Harry. Yeah. He's friends with Harry. Yeah, exactly. And he has that. Uh, he sleeps with his wife. He still does it. He doesn't which, give a fuck. Okay, so were you lying about the earlier stuff? Like that's I love. Or did, or did your view just change in light of this specific woman? Maybe? Yeah, like I love the I love the whole unreliable narrator yeah, thing. Yeah, because it, it makes you question everything he says. Absolutely. It's like is that are you is that how you feel or or is that your attempt at like justification? No, I'd say that's uh, that's about right. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so he. So what happens with the with the wife is that uh, he's going back to town and she's going to take a train and Harry basically says, oh, you're going back to town. Can you take her home for me? <laughs> Trusting him because he's his friend, right? Because why wouldn't he trust him? Why, why wouldn't this guy who earlier in a hospital scene uh, fucked a nurse? Fucked a nurse right in front right of Harry. Right in front of them just behind a screen yeah. while his wife was there. Yeah, which doesn't, it doesn't hide anything. No. No. <laughs> that, that's not a red flag at all. And yet he thinks that, okay, no, he's fine. So he's like, yeah, he'll have to give you a ride home. So, and then Michael Caine says something really creepy during that where he's like, oh, I took the, 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 a circuitous route to kind of show her the scenery, like uh, the long way home. Yeah. It's like, oh, that never, that's never a good sign. It's like, no, I'm taking the long way home. Oh, I don't know this right way. I mean, to the movie's credit, I don't think he ever forces himself on anyone. I don't think so, but uh, no. But it's just, it, it comes off yeah, as yeah, like, yeah. I'm taking her out to the middle of the woods. And basically, that's what they do. They go, they jump in a boat for some reason. They go down a river. They find a riverbank. They have a nice heart-to-heart, and then they fuck. Yeah. And Completely on camera. Another hardcore sex scene that you missed by looking down at your notes. Yeah, no wonder nobody wanted to be in this movie. Um, <laughs> they didn't want to fuck Michael Caine? Yeah. I'd fuck Michael Caine. Yeah, well, now. It was different in the 60s. He wasn't, he wasn't as smoke-cured enough for uh, ladies back then. He hadn't smoked enough cigarettes What's at that point. it all about? Michael Caine. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he fucks her once. Does he fuck her again? Fucks her twice? No. He eats her pussy like shrimp fried rice? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, he fucks her once. And then, of course, that leads to the whole thing that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, the abortion scene, which they never... It, it, I find it interesting that Denim Elliott is credited as the abortionist because they never no, say abortion. They don't use the word abortion. It's all very, um, uh, it's all very, it, in the traditional, like, it's spoke of but not spoke of. Like, it, it, everybody knows what you're talking about and up front. So, because he's like, uh, I called a guy. I have him coming over. He knows what to do in this situation. We'll take care of this problem kind of thing. They say, the closest thing they say is they say the termination of the pregnancy. Yeah, he, well, he at one point goes, yeah, he explains that the termination of a pregnancy after 28 days is a felony offense. Like, he goes through and he lays it out in technical terms what they're doing, um, which is for, for that time, is it crazy? Like, I could see why this movie was controversial when it came out, because yeah. that would have been probably the first time somebody had, like, laid it out quite that frankly on screen what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what they do, and uh, it's super fucked up uh, for many reasons, one of which is that uh, Alfie like many times in the movie, doesn't admit that he's the father of, of any child. Because anytime he talks about Malcolm or something related to Malcolm, he's like, oh, it's that kid I used to, it's some kid I used to know. Oh, yeah, when he's talking about his actual son. When he's talking about his actual yeah. son, yeah. Which I was surprised that that didn't, um, that first time he has a kid, she has the kid. Yeah. 
Although it's interesting because well, because he, he also has it's part of his ethos. He's like, oh, you're a free agent. You can do whatever you want. Well, Alfie is pro-choice. Yeah. Um, but I do I do <laughs> want to uh, I do want to play that bit at the beginning where over at the beginning, but like where he's talking about the baby. Yeah. Because I think it's interesting. You hear his kind of the way he's talking to yes. her, making it seem very much like he's an outsider, and he's like, oh, whatever you want to do. I'm I'm the I'm a nice guy. You yeah. do what you get to do. Uh, let's just listen just to don't that. expect me to be involved in any way. Yeah, let's listen to uh, to him uh, talk to Gilda about her baby here, and then of course we're we still need to talk about this abortion scene. Yes. You're late, girl. Mm. I ran all the way. Any news? Any reports from the front? No. Doesn't look like it. We definitely got to do something about this little lot. I've tried everything, Alfie. You mean you've been taking stuff on the quiet? You don't want to make yourself ill, you know. Alfie. You're not getting cooey lately. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're not only cooey, in a way, you're more bossified. It's as though I've got to take notice of you instead of you and me. I don't know how to describe it, but I can feel it. Do you love me? Uh, uh, what can I say when you ask? You shouldn't ask, you know. I'll tell you when I feel like it. I'll go make the coffee. Yeah. Make it strong. Alfie, I was thinking. Why can't we go through with it? Blimey, what an horrible thought. I've never been through with anything in all my life. I mean, if I was to marry you, girl, you might gain husband, but you'd lose a bleeding good friend. You don't have to marry me, Alfie. I've got it worked out. I don't care what you've got worked out. You've got to think twice before you turn an innocent little creature out into this world. I wouldn't turn him out. I'll have him adopted. Adopted? What are you talking about, adopted? Well, by a rich woman, see? A rich woman? I'd like to do that much for him. I'd be certain he'd have a good life then. Steady on, girl. I mean, you can't be sure there's something there yet, can you? This morning, I thought I felt him kick. Kick? How the hell can I kick? It won't be the size of my thumb now. I'll tell you next time. You'll do nothing of the sort. You don't want to give weight your impulses like that. Because something a woman might think natural, like as not a bloke, will find a bit sickening. Mrs. Artoni at the cafe used to call her husband every time their baby moved. What you don't realise is that men are more sensitive than women. Remember that big bird I used to dance with at the Locarno? One Sunday night, she showed me her operation scar, what she had made when she was a kid. A long scar it was, with all white skin round it. You know what? I got straight out of bed, I did, and put my clubber on. What's up with you, she says. I'd sooner go out and see a bleeding horror film, I says, in a thing like that. Yeah, asshole. That's the kind of guy he is, yeah. Yeah, so that's the kind of guy he is going in. That's with the woman who decides she's going to have the baby eventually, although she was going to... She floated the idea of, of putting it up for adoption. Right. Um... Citizen Kane style to a rich family. Yeah. Although, but this but this is a situation with Lily, Harry's uh wife, where they have to get she wants to get rid of it. She doesn't want any kind of evidence about, you know, her having an affair, yeah. obviously, with this guy. Um And this this abortion scene caused a lot of issues, besides the fact that a lot of actors didn't want to do the movie because of it. Yeah. Um it became a big deal with the MPAA because Jack Valenti Ugh. Or Jack Valenti. Jack Valenti was running Valenti. things even then? Oh, yeah. Wow. So after the screening, he was asking people for feedback, and he said he was kind of surprised that everyone was kind of voicing um, their approval for the film 
on moral grounds. And he said, I'm not asking about morality. I don't think any man has the right to pass judgment on the rightness or wrongness of another man's actions. What a person does in his private life is his own business. What I'm asking about is taste. What about that abortion scene? Um the just the fact that it was a the depiction of an abortion, even if even though it was off camera, I mean we we are with them when it's happening. Yeah. Uh and and of course, like like I said earlier, this led to the PG rating. Um the Catholic decency people actually but but here's the thing, they actually said in spite of the light treatment of immoral situations, the film develops the theme that an individual must accept responsibility of his actions. So they kind of turned Weird. around on it. Yeah. Weird. You this, don't expect that from the Catholic League. You don't. Um, this is crazy to me, though. So because of they let this scene in, Paramount was told, all right, listen, we let you get by with this, but you've got to make some other changes. So <laughs> they agreed to remove the hint that the dogs at the beginning of the film were having sex. Well, that didn't work because I assumed they were. Uh, they left only. This is the quote: "They left only a preliminary shot of them sniffing intimately at each yeah. other, which um, was enough, all, honestly." <laughs> they also agreed to take out a shot of Alfie throwing City's underwear at her, <laughs> um, and there's a line that they almost cut out, but they managed to keep it in. Where Alfie says to Shelley Winters as he's taking her picture, yeah. he says. Um, well, I got two positions, straight up or sideways, depending on your nationality. <laughs> and they said this line is in the final cut, but it was it was so casually <laughs> delivered by Michael Caine that everyone missed it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and I think the thing about this this scene with the abortion is this is the first time we see Alfie have an emotional moment. Well, let's let's just let's talk about the the lead up for a little bit before we get right to that. Okay. Just, I, just, I just want to mention the fact that when it comes time. Where he's, she's, he's like, do you have the money? And she's like, oh. And she goes and reaches into her own purse and she fucking pays for her own abortion. That's she true. doesn't even, he doesn't even offer any money. Now that comes back later because he slips some money into her purse. So we get uh, an indication that he's not a, that at, somewhere deep down in his soul, he there's a little part of him that occasionally will do the right thing. And so he does pay for her abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, although she doesn't know about it. But yeah, that just that, that that my wife especially was was quite displeased with that scene where she was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? That he wouldn't even he's making her pay for her own abortion? What a fucking asshole!" <laughs> yeah. But then yeah, then we get to the the abortion scene itself. Well, she's given the pills, right? And so it's obviously he has to the abortionist has to explain. It's, it's not immediate. It's got to take time to induce. Uh, yeah. And he said, and obviously, like, well, well, what if something happens? And he's like, well, if she gets sweaty, if she gets a high temperature and she gets sweaty, give her two of these pills. I'll give you six. Have a nice day. And he's like, no, but what? I need you to stay. And he's like, have a nice day. Two pills. And so then Alfie leaves, and I assume takes the pills with him. I didn't. I thought the pills would come back in a bigger thing because he leaves with the pills and never gives her any of the pills. I thought he left the pills. He also smacks her in the face because, yeah. well. I'm not defending it, no. but it is a moment where she screams so blood-curdling that he's like, the cops are going to come here. Yeah. And if you tell them that you got an abortion, we're both going to jail. Yeah, exactly. But he hits a woman who's like in pain because she's yeah, yeah, yeah. having his fucking abortion. And right. it's also, it's like, not, I, I get the practicality of it, but at yeah. the end of the day, it's hard to, hard to justify it. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying <laughs> that's, that's what he's That's saying. his view for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he basically just leaves her there. And then, so, of course, my, my wife assumes, it's like, well, she's dead. She's fucking dead. That's it. Uh, and he comes back later, and thankfully she's not dead. Mm-hmm. But uh, she comes kind of out ashen-faced, and because she'd been through it, she had ejected the material, as it were. Mm-hmm. And she says to Alfie, uh, uh, 
She says to Alfie, don't go in there. She doesn't say, whoo, do not go in there. She says, don't go in there. And Alfie being Alfie fucking goes in there. I mean, you know what, though? I'd probably go in there. Yeah, maybe. But, but like, it's like regardless, Alfie's n- not really ever done what he's been told. No. But he goes in there. He sees the, the remains. And, of the day. Uh, of the day. Uh, <laughs> the remains of a, young Anthony Hopkins playing the abortion. Oh, good Lord. They, they, they cut his scenes, though. Thank really. God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm glad. I'm glad. Absolutely. No, I'm sure we, Anthony Hopkins was probably like 21 at that point. But, but I think, and I think this is like... I mean, say what you will about how, like, you know, why he reacts or how he reacts, but I think this is like the pinnacle of Michael Caine's acting yeah, in this movie. Absolutely, it's the one like genuine emotional reaction we see from him. In the and film. It, and he seems like I don't know if you notice this or if I'm just looking too much into it, but he seems angry at himself as he's crying. Yeah. So he looks like mad. I think so. But also like it's like he can't fight it. You know what I mean? Like it's just like it's just come maybe, to the maybe forefront. that's why the Catholic League liked this movie because they all seem to regret it. Yeah, I yeah. mean, because he does. He, I mean, let's let's. I, I do want. I want to play the clip of yeah. him talking to his buddy uh, Nat, who again is the gentleman from A Taste of Honey. A Taste of Honey. Yeah. Uh, talking about how, like, what he saw and how it made him feel, and let's just we'll talk about it. I could have dropped on the spot with a shock. All I was expecting to see was. Well, come to think of it, I don't rightly know what I was expecting to see. Certainly not this perfectly formed being. I, I half expected it to cry out. It didn't, of course. It couldn't have done. It could never have had any life in it. I mean, not a proper life of its own. No, I suppose not. Still, must have had some life, of course. And. As it lay there, so quiet, so still, it quite touched me. And I started praying or something, saying things like, uh, God help me and uh, things like that. And then I starts to cry. Straight up, the tears were running down my face, all sorting, like I was a kid myself. Crying for him, you mean, Alf? Nah, nah, not for him. He was past it. For me bleeding self. You know, it don't bring it home to you what you are when you see a, a helpless little thing like that lying in your own hands. He'd been quite perfect. And I, I thought to myself, you know what, Alfie? You know what you've done? You murdered him. Boom. That's a big scene, yeah. and I think no matter what you think about Alfie as a character, um, it's kind of a crazy, it's kind of a crazy moment because he kind he kind of says like you know because of my fucking lifestyle, I mean I needlessly murdered a child. Yeah, like essentially where I mean, and I'm, I don't want to get into the politics about the fucking abortion stuff. Mm. Like leave that aside. He feels responsible for the fact that an unborn child had to die. Yeah, but what does he do to make good on it? I mean, <laughs> nothing that we see. That's his flaw, right? Yeah. That's like he's not a good he's not a good person, but I think to the, to this movie's credit, they make us follow this unlikable guy mm. and we're still kind of drawn in to to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're not on his side, but we're still kind of 
there for the, along for the ride. Um, can we talk about? Can we kind of? I mean, because this movie's called Alfie and it's about Alfie, but yeah. we, can we kind of talk about each of the girls? Sure. I mean, we talked about Lily, we talked about uh, Gilda, but I do I want I do want to mention briefly City, mm-hmm. the girl at the beginning and at the end. Uh, he's having the car make out with, and I think it's interesting. She's like the the one woman in this movie that that gets out of Alfie really with while having a good time because when he leaves her, she's super happy about it and is excited to see him again. Uh, and, and of course, invites him to uh, a party to meet her husband, which, as we learn, he doesn't want to do. No. And so, yeah, he just bails on the whole thing, and it doesn't come back around until the very end of the movie. And I uh, think it's interesting at the end. Well, I, you know what? I don't want to say too much. We'll play that clip later. But at the end, of course, she has a much different opinion of him, and yes. we can tell even not even with anything she's saying, just her tone. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think she's interesting, and uh, we have Ruby. Ruby, played by Shelley Winters, the mm. boisterous American, who I would argue, if we're just talking about these women, like, one by one, she's the best match. Oh, and she's certainly the most, like, like just fun. outwardly charismatic and fun, and she's rich, and she's, you know, she's, she's strong, she's, and she knows what she's doing. She's Alfie. Yeah, she's Alfie in a lot She of might ways. not be as terrible as yeah, he is. Yeah, she doesn't but, seem as bad as him, but she seems to have the kind of energy that he has. She, she definitely does the whole sleeping around thing. Well, as we learn, right? Yeah. I mean, um, she she definitely she and, and he even says that one of the lines he says this is maybe the girl I would probably settle down with because yeah. with a girl like Ruby why would you need anyone else? Well, and it's interesting because like all these other girls that he's out with all seem to be maybe you know they're, they're generally married women but they seem to be maybe younger than him or is he younger than them? They, they're younger, but I don't think Michael Caine was old at the time yeah. of this movie. No, I he's think not he's probably, well, He doesn't really seem to care, but yeah. But but uh, you know Shelley Winters is obviously a much more matronly woman. She's a little older. She's a little bigger. She got some curves on her. She got something you can grab onto. Yes, sir. Mm. Oh, she looks good in this movie. Um, oh, I'm just gonna just let me. Mm, there we go. Well, and she's ultimately the one because he decides. You know what? I should settle down with someone. I yeah. sh- I gotta stop doing this. I think it's the. I think it's the. Uh, a bo- uh, no, it's a later scene, which we'll talk about in a second. But it's a later scene that makes him do that, kind of realize, like, I better settle down with someone or I'm going to have no one. And she is with a, with a guy, yeah. and when he asks her why, um, why, why him, what has he got over me, and she simply says, he's younger than you are. <laughs> and that's it. And, there's, and he, you could tell in that scene, he expects some deep meaning, yeah. some big answer, because he even asks, what does he say at the end of the movie? What's it all about? Yeah, right? Exactly. And so he's wondering the whole time. So he expects some like deep-seated thing that's going to help him figure out life. And she just says, he's younger than he's you. He's younger than you are. That is a stab. It is a stab. To the heart. And, and it is, because uh, I mean, it, it, it reveals how, bad, how terrible a character he is in a lot of ways. Uh, because he, his reaction to her doing the exact same thing that he has been doing to everybody for the entire movie is to react like with the most like pearl clutching like oh, seriously like you would do that to me what what's he got that I don't what are you what are you doing but the interesting thing is in other parts of the movie where he talks about like girls talking with guys and being like yeah talk to him I just don't want to know don't tell me this time he takes great offense to it and I think that's because he put it in his head that this is the girl he was going to yeah, stick with. Exactly. He had built himself up and thought, and then turns out that no, she's not interested in that, clearly. I think the saddest character in this movie, and I think it's incredibly sad because we don't see her after she leaves him, is Annie. Yes. The, As a the, young drifter, kind of. The runaway, maybe, or, or hitchhiker, yeah. who is just apparently intent on getting murdered and left in a ditch. Because she, she jumps into a fucking... 
truck with some guy named Frank, and he takes her to a truck stop, and there's no question that Frank's going to try to fuck her. And then Alfie swoops in to ostensibly save the day, but what that means is he's like, no, I'm going to abduct you instead. Yeah. Takes her in his Rolls Royce, which to be fair, if you get into town, that's a better way to go than in a truck. And basically turns her into her his slave, I think. He moves her into his house and she like has to clean the floor and stuff. I mean, I think she, I think he keeps telling her to stop doing that. Yes, but she just does it anyways. Well, but yeah, it just it seemed it really weird. It's like it's like, yeah. "Oh, welcome to London." And then the next scene, she's on the floor fucking scrubbing his floor. Let's listen to a little clip of uh, of Annie. Yeah. And and especially Alfie talking about Annie. What time will you be back, Alfie? Nako, you shouldn't ask me that. When I go out that door, I don't know what day I'll be back, let alone what time. I'm what is called a free agent. Sorry, Alfie. I just thought I'd have your meal ready. Make a meal that's always ready. Ash or stew or something. I thought I'd do something special. Get those boots for me, will you, girl? See? Even she started asking me when I'll be back. Know what? That little remark would be the writing on the wall. Annie? Yes? When are you going to start using those gloves I bought you? You'll ruin your hands, what with all that scrubbing and whatnot. They don't matter. They may not matter to you, but they matter to me. Nothing puts me off more than a woman getting hold of me with hard horny mitts. You've got pretty little fingers. They're like a child's. Look after them for me. Sometimes it gets a dead ghostified look come over his little face. As though it were all sick inside with love or something. And his poor bleeding mind was stumbling about looking for a corner to rest in. Um, that is a girl who was hung up on the guy that she was previously with, first yeah. of all, because he says like that thing about like, you know, she gets a ghostified look, yeah. meaning she's like a deer in headlights sometimes when they're, especially when they're intimate. I mean, following that, we see a sex scene, yeah. kind of, as much as you can show in 1966. Yes. And she just kind of has that blank look in her, on her eye, in her eyes. And he doesn't know what that is. He's yeah. never experienced that And that before. makes him mad. And so he gets up and smokes at the window angrily for a minute. And yeah. And he's like, oh, it was so raw. But yeah, so I think her thing is is it's weird. It's like a it's a complicated character because she always seems to want to please him, yeah. even if he's not. Uh, you know, he, I mean, he's he's telling her like make dinner, kind of. But he's also not like telling her, you know, you better scrub these floors. So it's just it's a weird kind of relationship. Yeah, but then they have a kind of have a fight, and it all comes to a head, and he burns his hand on a steak and kidney pie, and and. She fucking takes off, and that's the last we see of her. Well, and that's what I mean. That that fight um, is a result of more insecurity from him because what happens? They are together for a little bit. It's not the, it's not the best relationship, but I mean, they're making it work. Yeah. Those those kids, yeah. they're gonna make it if they can. That's right. Um, but he goes uh, he goes out to um, a club, and by the way, in that scene when he says, oh, "I could be going for days," yeah. I don't know. Just make something that's ready. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he goes to a club. And he ends up meeting up with Frank, who's, yes. who suspects that he may have stolen this girl from him. Because, you know, women are property, as this movie states. Yeah, and it's, it, clearly they're fighting over their property. Yeah. And so, of course, Frank hauls back and slugs Alfie. And then they get in, it's, you know, of course, the melee starts to happen. And then he accidentally is run into a, um, a very large man. Who was mm-hmm. not happy about being run into, and then it just turns into a riot. They have the best bar fight I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> it, is, not, it is the entire bar is in on this fight. Not since my left foot have yeah. I been more entertained by a bar fight. <laughs> and props the singer; she keeps fucking singing. 
I love it. <laughs> I love it. She gets hit with a few things, but she, she keeps fucking singing. There's literally a scene where she gets hit with a bottle on the shoulder, and she's like, da 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 da. da. <laughs> No, it's great. Um, and and uh, and after this, yeah. So and leading up to that, he was speaking with his friends who said, "You look a bit poncified," meaning like he's yeah. got a bit of a belly. He's yeah. a, bit, he's a bit chubbier. I was still thinking that he was going to turn out he was sick or something. That there was something wrong with him because the whole medical stuff earlier in the movie had really driven that home to me. That they were like foreshadowing. Oh no, he's going to die. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, and and I think, I think the medical stuff early on was like. Oh, Alfie's ignoring this obvious sign that he should slow down. Mm. Um, because I think ultimately that will be the death of him. Yeah. If, if, did, oh, and, and props to this movie. They had a, a, a lady doctor. Yeah. Yeah. In 1966. That's crazy. That's, yeah. that's awesome. I do want to play that doctor scene later too. Cause I think part, I think that's really, that's the choreography in that scene is mm. great. Um, but, but so his, yeah, his friends tell him he's looking a bit chubby. He's looking yeah. a bit bigger. He's, and then, and then he goes home and I mean, he's loudly complaining to Annie that uh, she's like, "Well, I thought you liked that full feeling." He's like, "Well, maybe I liked it that, but I don't like it now because such a fucking he, asshole." The girl's making him a homemade meal every night, even when he's not there, and he's like, "Well, I guess I'm too fat, and it's your fault, you bitch." Well, and that's the thing. He fe- the reason he does it is because all these people, yeah. He gets the the littlest bit of criticism, and he becomes super insecure. This guy, again, the contradictions. This guy who's like, oh, you can't rely on anyone. You you, you gotta rely on yourself. You know, you gotta plow through the world. And and then the minute he gets a little bit of criticism from the outside, he's all of a sudden trying to change his entire way of life. I think it, and I think it's such a complex character yeah. though. And and I don't know if you noticed this, but. I think you get hints of his childhood a little bit because early in the film when he's talking about the kid that he actually does help raise for a little bit, mm. um, he says, like, not to over-cuddle over, over cuddle it. Over-coddle, yeah. Over-coddle. And he says, like, my dad never did that with me. And you're like, aha. There we go. That yeah. probably is part There's of it. something here, yeah. Or perhaps he appreciates the Spartan way of life and he'll, like, let his child out in the woods and, and they have to kill a wolf and if they don't kill the wolf well then they weren't strong enough to live and someone might fall into a pit who maybe, knows maybe who cares big there's, deal so what there's bottomless pits all over the place it's just not really well known that's right yes um, so you mentioned I know we're kind of all over the place but you mentioned the doctor scene I do want to play mm-hmm. that scene because this is a mixture of him of the doctor speaking to him him speaking to the doctor and him speaking to us yeah. and I think it's just so great how they combine everything Let's just let's take a look. Let's, let's hope this plays in audio real well. I think you'll be able to point out what's what. Now breathe out slowly. She said in her letter, Malcolm and me will be all right because I'll be at home to look after him. Again, good deep one. Hold it. Oh, let it out. What about you, Alfie, she says. What will you do? What'd you miss this? Say 99. 99. You know what? I came over quite choked at that bit. Again, whisper it this time. 99. Whisper it again. 99. Of course, I managed before. I managed before I met her and I managed now she's gone. Do you ever feel any pain in your back? Pain? No. You know what? Last week I find I'm missing her, so I called her. Funny, I do feel some pain there now. Where, there? No, a bit to the left. There? All right. There? Yeah, there. Mm -hmm. Is it tender? Well, it is when you prod it and mess it about. Turn around, please. Yeah, so I called round, you see. And do you know what? She wouldn't let me in. She kept me at the door. Take a deep breath. But little Malcolm, he must have heard me because he kept yelling, Daddy, so she had to let me in. I think I just I think that scene's great, a, and it goes. It's it's a long scene. It's about eight minutes or so, but it's and then of course at the end of the scene, uh, another Michael Caine great acting moment is when 
he just has a breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> and because they say, you know, you've got spots on your lung or you've got shadows on your lung, meaning you've got a little bit of like tuberculosis in there. Yeah. You basically need rest and relaxation for weeks. And he goes and, into a panic monologue. Yeah, he goes into like, I'm dead! It just falls over. Yeah. And then I love how the very next line is is like, your life goes back to normal pretty quick when you find out you're not dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no change in his nope. attitude at all. Nope. <laughs> just back, same old shit. The, uh, the filming of this movie was pretty interesting. Uh, I shot most of the movie on location in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael Caine said, you know, Lewis Gilbert decided to bring the camera in very close and let me have me speak not to an audience but to one close confidant. And that's yeah. what I meant when I say, like, it sounds like he's just talking to one person. Well, and it seems like throughout the movie, often when he's speaking with people, he is pretty much right in their face. Like, you mm-hmm. see it when he's talking to Harry. You see it often when he's talking to the women. Like, he's always in somebody's face, like, very close talking with them. Um, he trusted Michael Caine so much, or he had such confidence in Michael Caine, Lewis Gilbert did, that he actually allowed um, Caine to make a suggestion for one of the actresses because he select he suggested uh, Vivian Merchant, who plays Lily in this movie. Yeah. She had done like she had not done like any um, any acting in film. She had been like a stage actress, and she's also the wife of someone we've talked about before, uh, a playwright named Harold Pinter, who uh, was the writer of uh, The Go-Between. Yeah, there you go. Connections everywhere. And then they divorced and she died of alcoholism. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Um, (laughs) One of the things I think was interesting is Michael Caine talked about how Alfie was a great learning experience in many ways, and one lesson that he learned the hard way was never smoke during a lengthy dialogue scene. (laughs) Uh, he He said, and I quote, there I was, having done a long shot of a scene smoking a cigarette all the way through, and everything was fine until Lewis said, okay, we're coming for the close-up. I still hadn't spotted the difficulty until shooting was underway when the continuity girl called for the shot to be cut because my hand movements with the cigarette did not match those in the long, which, of course, was absolutely essential if the editor was going to be able to cut between the two shots. We did the shot over and over as I took a puff on the wrong line and then blew the smoke out on another wrong line. It became a nightmare and eventually took 15 takes to get the shot. A rarity on Alfie where the majority of the shots in the film were take one. Not because we were particularly brilliant, but because we had very little money and thus very little time. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought that was interesting. Um, Another thing he said was actually... um, which makes me laugh because it makes me think that she's hardly playing a character, is that when he met Shelley Winters for the first time for this movie, um, he was basically preparing to go into makeup, and he introduced himself, and she said, let's do it before we go into makeup, otherwise we'll, we'll have to get made up again. And he says, do what? And she said, screw. <laughs> she basically said, I always like to screw the leading man on the first day and get it out of the way because it can interfere with our performances. <laughs> Um, and Michael Caine said he stood there with his mouth open, just absolutely floored, and he ran away. <laughs> he ran in the opposite direction. He couldn't handle her. Um, and then he said as he was running away, he could hear her cackling, laughing. He said, of, of course she wasn't being serious. Why did I think that at the time? Um he said, I think she was just playing the old trick, old pro trick of wrong-footing the other actor if you don't feel too confident yourself, which, of course, one never does on the first day. <laughs> so I think that's, that's, great I think that's fun, yeah. I, I'm, now, you say he projects. Um, I think Annie might have been the one he projects the most on, mm. this, the girl, the, the runaway, because he's always telling her she looks incredibly sad all yeah. the time, and he literally tells her, and it's that annoying thing that guys oh, do. Oh, yeah. Smile! You look so much better when you smile. Yeah. But 
the way he does that, it's almost like he's almost like saying like, because I think he's a very sad person. Oh yeah, I think he's incredibly depressed. And then he hides it with this debonair man about town thing. He drowns. He drowns his sorrows in bottles of liquor and pussy. Yeah, bottles of pussy. Bottles of pussy. <laughs> pussy, pussy be falling into my pockets in the bottles. <laughs> Doing Bill Cosby. There. <laughs> Dirty Bill Cosby's coming back. I mean, <laughs> right now, if he was going to come back, he would have to come back as Dirty Bill Cosby, don't you think? I hope no one would book him. Yeah, no, I, me too. But shit. <laughs> Um, but, but his, his preoccupation with, that he keeps telling Annie, you know, smile, smile, look happy, look happy. It's almost like he's talking to himself because mm. he realizes that Annie is doing this, is losing the battle that he is winning. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's pushing that away and I feel like she's not. And he see, he's kind of, he kind of sees that as an exposure of himself. Well, he's like, she's, she, he's trying to encourage her to push it away or, or whatever he's doing to make it work for him rather than, you know, dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. He's like, well, you don't have to deal with it. Just be happy. Just look happy and everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fake it till you make it, baby. Mm. We should probably talk about that last scene. Yes, and I actually do want to play the last right. scene. Um, so the end of the movie, it's very sad. He's, we, we all care deeply for him because he's been such a genuinely yeah. nice person the whole movie. Such a stand-up guy. No, but I mean... Again, I will stress, he's not a stock villain. He's not a stock no. good guy. He's a very complex character. And this last scene, he he basically, he's going to be rejected by Ruby because, you know, she found a guy that was younger. And he's on the bridge. And he meets up with City. He sees City again from the beginning of the movie. And this time, her attitude is a lot different. Her tone is a lot different. And then he kind of uh, does a little monologue to the camera. So let's, let's just listen to that. And then we'll, we'll talk about it, Jason. City. Alfie. Hello. I ain't seen you in ages. You didn't turn up. Oh, look, I, I can explain that. I know I've missed you. I, I like that gear. Where are you going? I, I got the car around the corner. What about it? No, I can't. I'm going to meet my husband. It's nice material. Still, you always was a snappy dresser. What about Sandy, then? I'm not sure. Come on. Same time, same place. We'll see. I'll wait for you for about five minutes. Don't forget your napkin. Yeah, I'm like the Boy Scouts, I am. Always prepared. See you then, eh? Maybe. You know what? When I look back on my little life and the birds I've known and think of all the things they've done for me and the little I've done for them, you'd think I'd had the best of it all along the line. But what have I got out of it? I got a bob or two, some decent clothes, a car. I got my health back and I ain't attached. But I ain't got me peace of mind. And if you ain't got that, you ain't got nothing. I don't know. It seems to me, if they ain't got you one way, they got you another. So what's the answer? That's what I keep asking myself. What's it all about? Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So what do you think? Do you think he's learned anything? No. 
Do you Not think? Really. Do you think he thinks he's learned? Oh, something? absolutely. No, absolutely. I think he thinks he's had like a personal epiphany, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's changed much. So you think the the same thing's just going to cycle? Oh yeah. No, no question. No question. I'm wonder. I'm also wondering if this sort of thing has happened before, where he had a self reflective moment. Yeah. Uh, like that. I mean, maybe not to this because I mean, these are some very specific yes. things that happened to him. But yeah, he's, he certainly had moments where he thought he learned something about himself, but he really didn't. And it just allowed him to continue justifying his own existence the way he's been existing. And I do love the dog mm. be, uh, yeah. showing up at the beginning and the end. What do yeah. you make of that? Well, it's just I think it's just a metaphor for him. He's a dog. That's a dog. It's a dog. You the dogs together. You it's t- a guy. Hey, buddy. You know what I'm talking about. You think that's it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, the dog is a, is a lonely dog in an alley. Yes. Is that not kind of how Alfie ends up at the end of the yeah. movie? He's a stray dog, just He's... moving around, just living life out of trash cans and does shit. He, does he have a home? Do we ever see him at his house? I don't think we do. I mean, he's got a car, so he at but least we, has a place to sleep. I don't think we ever see him at his home. He's no. always at like the yeah. No, he never space. goes. Yeah, exactly. He never goes to his own house. You know, what we kind of glazed over. What's he's that? also a criminal. He, uh, yeah, well, he, yeah, you're right. He mentions he always, what, what does he call it? He always has a fiddle. Yeah. Like, he's always got some, like, side scheme going on. Oh, yeah, because he's working at one point. He's, like... He's siphoning a, gas Yeah, or he's siphoning gas out of a car, and it's, like, cause he's working at, like, a mechanic shop or something. And his boss, I think it's a really funny scene, because his boss comes up and says something, and then Alfie turns to the camera and be like, my downfall was I whistled. Never whistle when you're at work. You're never that happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good line. Which I thought that was great. Um, and he even, like, encourages Gilda that she should start stealing out of the t- her work because she says oh I've had such a great day I made them so much money and he's like well what does it matter it's not your money why don't you start lifting a nickel or two yeah (laughs) um but yeah uh uh so you don't think yeah so you don't think he's changed at all no no I I do want to ask you and we'll obviously we'll talk about this in a future episode more in depth but like Mm. what do you think it is about this movie that 38 years later they said, I know, you can you say, like, her money, but like 38 years later, they decide to remake this. Hmm. Like, what do you think What do you think goes into that? Do you think... Well, that's the question. I mean, we'll have to see the remake to see. Uh, I don't know why that that was the movie they thought to go back to. I mean, because that's my question about that remake is that do they go, do they make Alfie a more, like, do they, do they make the take on him more humanistic, more likable? Like, where he does bad things, but by the end of it, we have kind of that more American take on it that, oh, you know, he's... He's actually all right. Or do they go the other way and just make it super dark? And by the end of it, he's just like, he just doesn't give a fuck. I've seen it once yeah. in theaters. Classy. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, Jude Law, is yeah. in, he's very, he was in everything that year. Yeah. 2004 is a big year for him. Uh, as Sean Penn says, Jude Law is one of our most respected actors he in is. the industry. He is. And he deserved to be called out. <laughs> <laughs> what a great Oscar ceremony. Wasn't it wonderful? Um but I'm pretty sure it follows similar beats. Mm. Uh, and I think, I mean, that speech at the end, I think it's like pretty much the same. But yeah, I think they definitely make him a little more human. I think more he's more just a Lothario than like a sexist. Yeah. I mean, you have to be a little sexist to be this character no yes. matter what. Oh, absolutely. But I, th- I think he's definitely um, a little more, I think it's a little more light. Like he doesn't really. Seem I do to, remember it being pretty dark though. Like, like Alvy doesn't seem to think of people as women in the original version, or, or rather, uh, women as people. Like, I, I think every person is a woman. <laughs> every person is a woman, and that's a fact. Um, yeah, he he doesn't really seem to consider the feelings or or hopes or dreams or wants or needs of of women in general. And by the end of it, I don't know that that's any different. Uh, he's he's had his heart opened up a little bit by the kids, but 
He just doesn't care. Well, and I mean, I think that I think I think that last scene is proof that he might not have changed at all. Because no. what does he try to do at the end? He tries to hook up with the girl from the beginning of the movie. That's like doing a complete three sixty. Yeah, he's walking down the street at the end of the movie, and my wife's quote, which defines her experience watching the movie, is, "I wish somebody run him the fuck over." <laughs> And I mean, I'm like, well, he comes back in a sequel, so sorry. Oh, it, there is a sequel, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. Wow. Not with Michael Caine, though. No, no. The, the, the guy who then also did the soundtrack for the movie that he was in. Yes. Who is in that Alan sequel? Price, I think his name is. No, that's not who plays him. I think so. Who plays him? Uh, what is Alfie? it called? Alfie Rides Again? Uh, what's it all about, Alfie? Alfie Darling. Oh, Alfie Darling. Okay. Star. Oh yeah, you're right. Alan Price. Wow, weird. He, he like wrote the title song for the movie. <laughs> Alan Price and Joan Collins. Yeah, there you go. Okay, an English truck driver's usual way with women does not work with a magazine editor. Oh no, mm. what have they done to this movie? Yeah, no, it's. It, I can't imagine it's very good. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Let's listen to the trailer. <laughs> Man, if I could track that one down, we might do that. We might have to do that too. Be interesting to see, I would say. But um, uh, I, one la- one thing I do want to uh, actually let's go through your bits and bobs first. Jason's bits and bobs. Here we go now. Jason's bits and bobs. It's the little things that he didn't mention during the show. But he's still t- technically doing it because the show's still going on. When he saw the baby the first time, he goes, "That's a mistake I made with Gilda getting involved." <laughs> and I, it made me kind of laugh. Um, I enjoyed when he was uh, uh, making out with the girl while he was still smoking at the same time. So he finishes kissing her and he blows out a puff of smoke. <laughs> did, you, did you also notice what he said? It's another connection. Oh, it's not really. But he says, I was uh, I was sleeping with uh, Dory from Pimlico. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, does she have her passport? Ah. Uh, is it is it Gilda he's talking to when he says don't you stop crying or I'll belt you one for sure oh yeah <laughs> thankfully he does the, that, the only scene where he does that is um, unfortunate practical reason but yeah yeah thankfully he doesn't, he doesn't hit, hit anybody, anyone else. but he, he mentions it a couple times he does um, I do lo- oh I love the montage of the kid growing up yes where, nice. where he it shows the baby because as soon as the baby as soon as she says Gilda at the beginning she says she's pregnant I thought I thought the abortion thing was going to happen right away because yeah, yeah. I knew it was coming because I knew that credit was in the credits the abortionist yeah. um, but then when they have the baby and they do a close up and he's like kind of with it and stuff I yeah. was like oh he kind of takes care of the child and that he shows up to enjoy the little bit of parenting that he wants to enjoy he shows up on weekends he plays with the kid the kid wants to see him it's all happy and lucky and then he just fucks off well he literally says I'm not changing nappies yeah yeah he has no interest in actually doing any of the possibilities of being a father but he's happy to take the enjoyment of being a father yeah that's what it's all about. Yeah, is it though? That's what it's all that's about, That's what Alfie. it's all about, Alfie. Uh, let's see here. He fucks a nurse in the sanatorium. We mentioned that. That's great. It was a great scene. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, the scene, the reason he freaks out in the doctor's office is because he sees the funeral procession yes, outside. Yes, that, he sees that I a couple loved times, that. Yeah. I loved that. Was a nice, that. That's, again, I thought he was going to die at the end. I thought that was some really, like, on-the-nose foreshadowing. Yeah. But uh, it just clearly was enough to freak him out. Yeah. At one point, so I, yeah, uh, Who's talking to him says, uh, maybe it's Gilda, says, he says something about, like, I never want to hurt anybody. And she goes, I know, and you do. Uh, you know, I, I know, but you do. Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether you want to or not, you always do. Uh, oh, and the line I like, uh, one thing about driving a Rolls is they're pleased to see you everywhere. When he goes to the restaurant and he has his, uh, the car that he's driving as a chauffeur. Um, this I didn't get. I, I, I should have looked this up to find out what racial stereotype this comes from. But he's talking about uh, Frank, I think, and he says, he'll lend you his wife. He's like the Eskimos do. 
I've never heard the idea that Eskimos share their wives. No, but the only thing I can think of is that term Eskimo brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. And it could be yeah, it could be like a Cockney rhyming slang thing. I don't know. It, it, it shoot with the bobby in the lorry, yeah. and then she shot on a turtle. Tato. You know what? Watching all these Michael Caine movies too, Jason, I just want to say I appreciate his part in Austin Powers even more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because <laughs> I, when I first watched it, I didn't know who Michael Caine fucking was. Yes, well, yeah, I think, yeah, I didn't really know much about him before that. I can't really think of what I would have seen him in. And I remember um, everybody at the time being like, oh, that's such good casting. And I'm like, oh, okay. And now I'm like, oh, wow, that is good casting. Yeah, Michael Caine, he's fucking amazing. And I'm sure that... Uh, um, I'm sure that that was a request on Mike Myers' part. Oh, I have 100%. to imagine that he grew up watching Michael Caine. I was like, yeah, I have to have this guy. I mean, they have the Alfie song in Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's it all about, about Austin? Austin? Yeah. 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 Um, so I, w- one last thing I'll mention is at the end of this movie, whatever comeuppance he gets from the end of the movie, seeing his aborted baby and then being uh, turned down by an, an older lady who's like, you're not young enough for me, seems like a real minor comeuppance for this guy. Now, obviously life is life and in life, not everybody always gets a deserved comeuppance, whether, you know, uh, so I guess like life, that's what happens. But, you know, watching this movie, especially my wife was very disappointed that he didn't get some sort of like comeuppance for his actions in the course of this movie. But that's life, man. That's life. I think he gets a pretty harsh comeuppance. Well, I don't think it's. I don't think it's the, evident. The abortion or the no everything. Yeah. I think that he's kind of realized how harmful he is at the end of the movie and how meaningless his lifestyle but is. But I just don't think he cares. I feel like he's going like to go back out and do what he always has done because that's I, all he knows. I feel like he wants to care. He might want to care, but his baser instincts, his baser urges maybe seem to take over. Yeah. Just, like I say, I, I think he has a way of doing things. He, he knows how to do it. He likes to do it that way. And regardless of what he's uh, starting to learn about himself, he's kind of pushing it to the side so he can continue living the life he's been living. But again, it's like you said, mm. this isn't some Hollywood movie where no. everyone gets their No, no, absolutely. No, no. Yeah. It's not a neatly tied up box, you know. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are my bits and bobs. What What I wanted to do before we talk about the uh, the awards it was up for, because it was up for quite a few, um, I want to talk about the theme song. The theme song, you know, the song, What's It All About? Alfie. Yeah. Or I think it's just called Alfie. But um, it was recorded for the American um, release by Cher, arranged by Sonny Bono. Um, it was actually, apparently it was also on the, it was on every release. I actually had thought that there was a different version on the UK release, but I was wrong. You were wrong, Brendan. You were wrong and you have to admit that. <laughs> but in the UK, they did have a uh, singer named Scylla Black mm-hmm. to record her version of the song, which became a huge hit. Um, this song was written by Burt Bacharach, by the way. Give ah. credit where credit is due. No uh, wonder it was in Austin Powers. Yeah. Well, there you go. And he shows up in Austin Powers. Yeah, he's in the first one. <laughs> well, the world... Needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Thank you. That's a present for all you listeners out there. You're welcome. (laughs) But yeah, so what I want to do is get your opinion. I want to see which one you prefer. All right? Okay. We're going to play two... I mean, not the whole thing. We're going to play yeah. two selections from the uh, the Alfie theme songs, and then it might have a surprise for you at the end. Here we go. This is this is Cher. What's it all about when you sorted out Alfie? Are we meant to take more than we give? Or are we meant to be kind? And if only fools are kind 
Okay. So that's a little bit of share. Very produced. Mm. <laughs> very, very, uh, you might say overproduced, maybe. Um, this is Scylla Black. see why that one was the British hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about it just, I think, would strike into the hearts of the post-war British crowd. Like, just the, the violins in the background and kind of the muted drums. Like, it sounds like a like a dance hall song, almost. So, or like, like, the end of the night you would play. So, between those two, which one did you prefer? I, I think I like the second one more, as much as I like Cher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the, the first one sounds very much like an American take on that yeah. same kind of material. A very, like, produced, yeah, American version. And, I mean, yeah, Cher's American, so that's expected. But Now... I, I, I bring you those two, but I raise you the version recorded by Dionne Warwick. Ooh. I know. That sounded like a combination of the two. It sounded like Dionne Warwick doing a better produced uh, cover of this of this uh, Scylla Black version. Yeah, yeah. I really like that one. Yeah, it's, nice. I, that's, it's not the um, it's not any kind of official one for the movie, uh, and maybe we shouldn't have spent you know five six minutes talking about the theme song. But fuck it, I, Why I not? think it, I think it's interesting that there yeah. are so many different versions of this. That yeah, must be a good song. I could have played like eight different versions, <laughs> of that, but I'm not going to. Well, there's a I'm sure there's a there's like a dance album, a European dance album from the early '90s that was made that uses a lot of samples from this movie. And I remember for a fact that the remake. Doesn't have the full song, but they do open up as the logo is coming up. I think it's like Paramount or something yeah. with "What's It All About About Alfie." <laughs> it's like it's like some sort of like old. It's supposed to sound like a vintage radio thing, yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so now yeah. we acknowledge the original. We can move on now, Jude. That's right. Uh. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. I won't, I won't be afraid. I'm, I'm not scared anymore. Although Ashley Simpson did give me a scare when I was hosting Saturday Night Live and no music came out of her mouth. I thought she died. I did. <laughs> Poor Jude Law. Why did he have, have to be the host on that unfortunate night? <laughs> um, but he hosted again, so all is well. Uh, I want to talk about how this movie went to the Oscars. And it was nominated for five Oscars, Jason. Wow. Does not win a single one, though. Fuckers. Um, it is nominated for Best Song for Alfie, which I think is awesome. Because mm-hmm. I love, I do really like that song. Yeah. But the winner that year is Born Free from the movie Born Free. Born Free. Um, Best Adapted Screenplay it's nominated for. The winner that year is a movie we will cover eventually on this show. It's called A Man for All Seasons. Okay, yeah. I've heard of that title. Uh, Best Supporting Actress is uh, Vivian Merchant, who plays Lily. 
Um, she was nominated, but she actually lost to Sandy Dennis for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Okay. I have actually seen that movie, and yeah. she's great. Uh, best Actor, Michael Caine is nominated, but he loses to Paul Schofield for A Man for All Seasons. Mm-hmm. And Best Picture is won by A Man for All Seasons. Can't wait to see that one. Yeah, should be interesting. At the BAFTAs, it is nominated for Best British Actor, which is actually won by Richard Burton. Well, Richard Burton for Tobruk. For Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf oh, and yeah. The Spy Who Came In from the Cold. He, what, he got nominated for two yeah. roles? Well, wow. he was yeah, he was great in both, I guess. Yeah. Um, Nominated for Best British Film, which is won by The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Best British Screenplay, which is won by Morgan. Best Cinematography, which is won by Arabesque. Best Editing, which was won by Morgan. And it wins one BAFTA, Most Promising Newcomer for Vivian Merchant. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Kind of surprising. I'm a little surprised Michael Caine didn't get a Best Actor somewhere. Yeah, you'd think. Uh, It was great. He's he's what carries that movie. Phenomenal. If you have a worse actor in this movie... I mean, work. he becomes so unlikable that you don't yeah, care. Exactly. He exactly. makes it complex and interesting. Um, so, Jason Alfie, number Final 33, words. 1966. Okay. My, I like this movie a lot. My main issue with this movie is its classification as a comedy. I don't believe this movie is a comedy anymore. I think this movie yeah. was a comedy when it was released. Um, I didn't find a whole lot of it super funny. There's some funny moments, and, and Michael Caine's character is certainly charismatic, but I think the material that it goes into gets so dark that I just don't think you could classify this as a comedy anymore. And that's a pretty minor thing is classification. Yeah. But I, like I say, I did like this movie, and I, and I told you outside while we were um, preparing for the podcast that I was going to compare it to a movie that maybe you wouldn't expect. Yeah. But this movie very much reminds me of, uh, maybe not as dark, but a version of 1992's Abel Ferreira classic, Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> I've never because, seen it, but I know well, what Well, you should about. watch it. Bad Lieutenant is the the uh, adventures of Harvey Keitel, who is the titular Bad Lieutenant. And <gasps> is that the he, movie where he jerks off in front of a car? I think so, yeah. Uh, he, he, do, he does progressively worse and worse and worse things in his position as a police officer until it ends with him naked in front of Jesus, screaming in a church. Okay. Um, this movie's not quite that dramatic, but it kind of reminded me in that way of this guy who just kept doing things that were worse and worse and worse, and I just kept going, how can this guy get any worse than he does something worse? Yeah. And so that was the movie that kept coming to mind as I watched this whole thing. That's so, interesting. So, so check it out, folks. Bad Lieutenant. Uh, I have not seen Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, but that is definitely on my to-watch list. I, I've heard that one's just as crazy. Uh, it's not British, unfortunately, but uh, someday. Someday! Maybe we'll, we'll maybe someday we'll expand the and now for something completely dim, uh, similar to include and now for something completely similar to include movies that are just uh, uh, kind of smell like other movies that we've watched. <laughs> well, you know, one day we can all dream. One day. So th- uh, thirty-three. How do you feel about that? Right, just just seems casually. Fine. Seems fine. Yeah, you th- see, uh, so you think like you think like you're looking at it in, in the just I, outside of the top third. I don't know if it would be in my top thirty-five, but. It we uh, you know it seems fine seems yeah. reasonable. I mean Michael Caine is Michael Caine. Michael Caine deserves is all he? the accolades. Yes, okay. he is. Oh okay. She was only sixteen years old. Um. Yeah. No. I mean, I <clears throat> I was uh, surprised when I saw that it was so high on the list before I watched it, and I'm on board with it being in the top third. Uh, I think it's an incredibly complex movie mm. that I don't think people think I think when people think of Alfie because this is a movie that people like know of yes more than they've seen but I think when people think of, of the movie Alfie they think it's what it is on the outside a Lothario yeah. a man about town 
Bedroom, bed, bedroom yeah. to bedroom, sleeping with ladies. And we've seen those sorts of movies about yeah. a guy that just fucks his way through a bunch of women, and it's all fun and whatever, you know. And it's not not so deep. But this is this goes to some dark territory that other movies wouldn't. I mean, I think. I mean, it is a little dark, but you it's kind of Saturday night and Sunday morning in a way because mm. he kind of goes back and forth between two. I guess he does get beat up a lot. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe not a good example, <laughs> but you know what I mean. We've definitely seen that type of movie, yes. and I think maybe that even might be what sways people away from watching something like this. And mm. I just want to stress, Alfie, the character, is, you know, you will wince watching what he does. You will, absolutely. But the movie... Is aware of that. Oh, yeah. No, and no. I think that's what makes it a lot easier to that's digest. That's the thing. That was my question. But it was pretty clear, I think, that the movie was saying this is not somebody you want to emulate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, I do think the James Bond connection with the director is really interesting because of that. Neat. Yeah. Two totally different He's making, kinds of making up for the James Bond stuff. He's like, ah, this is what it actually would be like if you were that asshole. Maybe. Well, actually, he did Moonraker after this. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> Pigeon double take. Oh, my. <laughs> Greatest movie ever made. Yeah. So I would say yes. I would say it's great. It it should be. I would say it's probably going to be in the top third. Um, I mean, we still got quite a few movies to go, but yeah. it's it's great. Yep. I loved it. It, it was, was an a, enjoyable watch. It was sure. fantastic. Um, and I agree with you. I don't know that it's a comedy, and I don't know even if it's listed as a comedy. I don't know how much of a comedy it was back then either. Yeah. I think it's if you look back at older comedies. I think there was a lot more dramatic elements than we usually get. No, nowadays absolutely, with there comedy. were for sure. There, there, there are movies I've watched from the seventies and eighties that are comedies where it's like, who thought this was funny? Like, yeah, it's a drama. <laughs> yeah, this is a great movie, but yeah, I'm not it's a laughing. Movie, but I'm not laughing at it. Christ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Animal House is dark. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Although you watch Animal House now, and I'm not on Bluto's side anymore. <laughs> I was reminded they were talking about this on, a, on another podcast the other day, but the scene in that movie where, where the dudes like got the girl on the bed and the the devil comes on his shoulders like yeah fuck her go ahead fuck her and it's like holy shit <laughs> I mean, I, I mean to, he doesn't to his credit he, he does, does not, the gentlemanly yes. thing and puts her in a shopping cart and brings her home that's right that's right like a good gentleman would he doesn't go the uh, um, uh, revenge of the nerds path and just fuck her <laughs> yeah oh my god Darth Vader rape yep. revenge of the nerds <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think we've come to the end here. That was a good discussion, Jason. Yeah, I enjoyed lovely. talking about Alfie with you, but now... Oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy, you are sweating something fierce. Oh, it is a hot day in here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it is time. Time. To roll the dice. It is time. And I believe it is Brendan's turn this week. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Because what we are doing right now, Jason, is we are going to roll the dice and we are going to land on a number that is... We are going to land on a number out of 100. Because Ideally, that number will be a movie that we have not watched. Yeah, first roll, it's, I, I don't know, but we'll try. Uh, and I have a 10s d10 and a 1s d10, and when I roll them, Jason is going to tell us what movie we are going to be covering next week. All right, engage the uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire music, and let's do this. Okay, so we're in the 20s. 20s. There's a few in there. 22. Look at that, first go. We are going to watch 1963's The Servant, directed by Joseph Losey. Interesting. Yeah. And we just talked about Harold Pinter. I'm pretty sure he wrote that. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Very nice. And we're also going back to James Fox and our old friend from Darling, Dirk Bogard. Nice. Old Dirk. Wow, The Servant. Okay. There Let's we go. Some heavy shit we're getting well, into. We, well, we watched week. Remains of the Day the other week, so we should be ready for this one. That's what I mean. And Yeah, yeah and James Fox is again playing the, uh, the, the master, I guess. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Lord. Jimmy Fox. Jimmy. Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox. There we go. They're related. Jamie Fox and Eddie Fox. Okay, the servant. Wow, I'm surprised we got on the first roll. There we go. 
So that's going to do it for that. Um, you can find us on social media if you're so willing yeah. by uh, searching for us on Twitter. We're at BFI underscore pod. Jason is on Twitter. That's at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Follow me and uh, like it or don't. Yeah. He, he often posts pictures uh, just after he's had sex. Oh, I want people to see my glow. <laughs> Your gorgeous ladies of wrestling. That's right. That's right. I always hold my glow posters up after I've had sex to be like, yeah, look at these ladies. This is how I feel. Yeah, Alison Brie. That's right. You're a spirit animal. No, I have original glow posters from the 80s, the original ones. Yeah, Alison Brie. Yeah, exactly. She was there. She was. She was very tiny. She was very young. It was, it was, a, lot of, it was a lot of laws against it. <laughs> she, was, she was that kid that wrestled Kenny Omega. God. <laughs> Remind me of that atrocity. Um, but yeah, so do all that. But Jason... I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screening country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Toodaloo. Toodles. Jason. Yes. What's it all about? It's about uh, spreading your seed as wide as possible and taking responsibility for nothing. Oh. That's what it's all about, Alfie. That's what it's all about. Just let me go